Hi, everyone. Um, tonight's reading is from Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 to 19, and that can be found on page 10 of the zines, which is smack bang in the middle. Um, so that's Daniel 9, verses 1 to 19. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descendant, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and all, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favour of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favour on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
I'm on. I can hear myself. Good evening. Uh, I'm Baz McGrath. And I'm, uh, I think, on the wrong side of Justin because he keeps on giving me passages to preach from which are so bleak and so sombre and so serious. And tonight is another one. Um, it is a wonderful passage, but it, it, it's full of a heaviness, a gravitas, and uh, so please be prepared. I'm going to pray for us. Please pray with me. Father God, extraordinarily, the Lord Jesus said that when two or three are gathered together in his name, you are with them. We acknowledge your presence with us tonight and ask by the power of your spirit that we will understand better your word and live it. In Jesus' name, amen. I teach pastoral care in a whole variety of settings from theological colleges to churches and I teach all the chaplains in the diocese. When I go into churches, I teach groups of people who want to do pastoral care often in their church community. And a number of months ago, I did a course and a woman in the course who I remembered um, wrote me an email recently, and I expected the email to go something like, Dear Baz, uh, did the course months ago. This is what I'm doing in my local church. But she didn't say that at all. She said, Dear Baz, uh, I'm writing to you because uh, the course has really come in very useful, usefully in my life, but not as I anticipated. She said, God knew what he was doing. I've been surprised at what has happened in my life. She said, I thought I was going to care for people in my church community. But actually, I went with my husband to the doctor and we found out what we thought was a fairly simple thing was his arm, was actually motor neurone disease. And I found out that now I'm putting into practice what I learned with him and the future is not good from the doctor's point of view, but we are praising God that he has prepared me at some level. I found it a very uh, jolting email to receive. Here is someone who believes in an interventionist God, but with unpalatable truth she is confronted. When I teach the chaplains who work at the children's hospital, they too believe in an interventionist God, but they're confronted day by day with the unpalatable truth of children very ill or children dying. Tonight, when we look at this passage, it's an unpalatable truth about the interventionist God that we believe in and that we pray to. And I want us to consider the difference of Daniel's position to our position on this side of the cross. 
Believing in an interventionist God is daunting, but often it doesn't seem so, uh, for we often see intervention in the positive. We think God's going to intervene and he's going to heal. He's going to encourage us. He's going to renew. He's going to give wisdom. But Daniel saw the intervention in a far bleaker way where he saw that God was a God of judgment. And because God is the God of judgment, he prayed The people had sinned and God had judged them harshly. See in verse 11, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law have been poured out on us. We don't think of the interventionist God like that, do we, often? A God who intervenes in a way to pour down on us judgment. But this is how Daniel understood God and he had good biblical warrant for understanding God like this. He knew that God judged and God judged physically in time and space. And so he pled with God to stop, not because Israel deserved mercy, for they did deserve judgment, but because he wanted everything to be okay. He wanted God to bless. And he said, not because we deserve it, but because you are merciful, please. If you read the whole book, though, God's judgment still went ahead with Jerusalem. Believing in an interventionist God is not simple. It's often full of disappointments. And I think if we believe in an interventionist God, the longer we pray and the older we get, we will have a catalogue of disappointments. We pray for good things to happen and the appalling thing happens. The child does die. The country is bombed. For God sets his own pace. He chooses how he'll intervene. And that's very frustrating for us. For we want him to fit into our timing The God of the universe chooses what he's going to do. His will is done. Believing in interventionist God means that what we do matters to him. And we do believe that if we're Christian, don't we? We we believe that God is going to intervene in a way which is going to transform change But it's a bit scary considering that he may judge. I think that when we read this passage from Daniel, we really have to step a long way away from it and not make this prayer too quickly our prayer. But we have to recognise with Jesus, asking for forgiveness is different. You know, the the one snippet of this section which really resonates with me is in verse 23. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out which I have come to tell you. As soon as Daniel prayed, God responded. The God of the Bible is a listening God. He's interested in us. And he responds. It had such an impact upon me this week. I was talking with friends about it during the week. And when someone pointed out, I thought, this is extraordinary. 
we pray, and we may pray in a distracted fashion, in a, a, a fashion which is uh, by rote, and yet the God of the universe listens. God responds even if we don't see the response, and that is how we usually understand the interventionist God. But today I want us to look at a way of God intervening that we don't tend to think about. And it was a way of God intervening which was grounded in time and place, in history. You see at the start of this passage, in the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, ruler over the Babylonian Empire, Daniel speaks. This is not some abstract text about God. This is one character in history. And he read the scriptures we learn about in verse 2. And he understands that God is going to bring judgment on Jerusalem. And so he prays on behalf of the Jewish community. It's interesting that he doesn't pray as an individual. He's not using the I, but he's using the we which uh, for us in our culture where we're very caught up in us, to pray for the corporate is an interesting idea. He looks at all the people and says, we have sinned, we have been wicked, verses 5 and 6. We've turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened. And it's daunting to consider the God who is behind this type of prayer It's a God who judges, a God who weighs our actions, a God who says what you do matters. The actions of individuals and communities are responded to by God and he responds in such a vigorous manner. In verse 7, you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. When many of us call on God, we want to be healed. We want our loved ones to be healed. We want relationships to be repaired. We want renewal. We want events to work out. We want to get jobs. We want to pass exams. We want to find love. And the list goes on for what we pray for. We want God to intervene. But not like this. When Nick Cave prayed... I don't believe in an interventionist God. I can see why he said that when you read something like Daniel 9. We we don't want judgment, understandably. We don't want discipline. We don't want our moral actions weighed before the holy God, which we sang about. We want him to intervene in the way we want. But the jolt of this passage and the whole of the book of Daniel is that God has judged them. And and God's judgment in this book is harsh. I, I can't turn away from that. It's strong. It's immediate. And when I say that, there's no triumphalism in it. I'm not saying, isn't it good that the holy God has judged the people for their sin And I reel back from it going, wow, this is very serious. How we live matters. It's a bit of a jolt, isn't it? Because we're often very cavalier with how we live and we can be cavalier with ethics 
and our morals and our actions. But Daniel is not, and so he prays this prayer of confession. It's not a pallid prayer, is it? I often get into trouble with people because I teach about prayer uh, every week in a whole variety of settings. And I always give people a hard time about praying for parking spots. I think, oh, really? That's as deep as your prayer life goes? Please give me a parking space in, in Westfield. I know I'm running late, but I really want to buy a new shirt. We pray for the weather. Now, people always come back at me with this because they say, we're told to pray about anything. And I say, yeah, we are. But gee, is, is, is that our high bar? It's pallid, isn't it? And not so Daniel. Daniel's prayers are not pallid. They're, they're muscular. He certainly wasn't living an affluent life like us. He, as a follower of God, what had happened to him? Well, he had become a dispossessed person. He had been whipped out of his homeland. He had effectively been taken into slavery in another country. He'd been thrown into a lion's den. He'd been thrown into a furnace. He was living in servitude in the Babylonian Empire. But it seems that Daniel's faith was not dependent on day by day going really well. His faith was in a God who was true and unpalatable things were happening to him, but that didn't stop him seeing that well, this is still the God I believe in and I must pray for forgiveness for my people. And when he prays, it's, it's so strong. He says in verse 8 that the God's people are covered in shame, are covered with shame because we sinned against you. And it's all-encompassing. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. It's a bleak situation. And it's not like he just lobs in as this character who's especially attuned to sin. He got this idea from reading the book of Jeremiah and he mentions Moses a couple of times. So we've gone back to the book of Exodus. He's taken us back to the Ten Commandments and he says, we have forgotten them. We have disregarded them. We have not listened to God and we've been judged. I don't know about you, but I think this is unpalatable to my 2019 ears and heart. I think it's true, but unpalatable. I think it's worthy of a Sydney Morning Herald article, which would read, why don't people go to church? They're still talking about judgment. And people would say, see, this is why people don't go to church. This is so negative. Can't you just rejoice in people? And then we come to this passage, and what do we do with it? I have sympathy with people who say this is just too much. But what happens if this is who God is? 
for those of us who hear these words as truth, the words point us towards a reality which elevates our life that it really matters and we really matter to God. If we didn't matter to God, our actions would be irrelevant. God would treat us like we treat other people. We often don't care what other people do with their life. We don't care what people do in their homes as long as they don't infringe upon our rights. See, if we believe this, that the interventionist God actually could and has judged, we're not only struck with believing something which is culturally alien, we're stuck with believing that we live in a moral universe, that God did not only create the magnificent physical universe, but we're actually a dwelling in a moral universe of good and evil, of right, of wrong, of God as the holy God. When we say that we matter to God, we usually mean in terms of we've been made in the image of God and he loves us, not that he cares so much that he will judge us for our rebellion against him. So Daniel's talk of God, it's countercultural, isn't it? And for those in the church universal who says, I say, I, I don't believe in a God like this. I, I don't believe in the God of judgment. I believe in the God of love. And I can see why people would want to believe that. I don't know what then to do with the Bible. For the Bible says God is a God of judgment. And the person who spoke more about judgment and hell than anybody else in the Bible was Jesus. If we want to cut out a lie judgment, I, I don't know what we do with the scriptures and I don't know what we do with Jesus, but I think we step out of the Orthodox Christian faith. Daniel doesn't see God as malevolent. He doesn't see that he's the baddie. He says, no, we are the ones who have transgressed. In verse 12, you have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. He judges people and Daniel says, it's fair. You warned us and we disregarded the warning. Daniel knows God to be merciful and forgiving, and he knows God to judge. And he tells us that God judged the people and brought judgment upon them so that they would turn to him, but they didn't. The American philosopher long dead, John Dewey, said that we don't learn from experience. We only learn from reflection on experience. The Jewish people at this time, God's people, did not reflect on their experience. They did not reflect on the God who had brought them into being. And so they were judged. 
He alludes in verse 15 to the Passover, that, that great time that the community still celebrate of God saving them, but he still says, yeah, but we were saved, but we sinned and we forgot the salvation that we have been given. He knows God can save and he knows God can judge. And it's the one God. He knows God loves him and is merciful and kind and full of compassion. And he is the God who says, what you do matters. And if you sin, I judge. And that's the one God. He holds the two together. And when we pull God apart and dismiss one aspect of him, we're not really dealing with the fullness of the personality, the person of God. He holds them together and says, I'm going to plead for mercy. And in verse 19, such a beautiful, brief prayer. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. You know, when people talk to me about reading the Bible and they say they find such comfort in reading the Bible, I think you've never read Daniel 9. It's not a kind of a, a cutesy, comforting Bible passage, is it? When you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and can't go back to sleep, I'll read a bit of the Bible to comfort me. Now, this is drawing back the curtain on humanity and drawing back the curtain on God and saying this is an extraordinary reality that we often just shut our eyes to. It's the interventionist God. So how do we, in 2019, sit with this? That, to me, is our question. An unpalatable truth that God is merciful and judging, an unpalatable truth that God is full of love and compassion and our sin matters. That God judges is a hard truth, but it's a truth nonetheless. I think we can sit with this profound truth that God intervenes. But we have to sit with Jesus to understand this passage. If we don't sit with Jesus to understand this passage, we are really stuck in a shocking dilemma that I'm a sinner and I hope God forgives me. That's not Christianity. We sit in a dilemma of saying, I'm a sinner and I'm going to ask God to forgive me and maybe he will, but I'll try harder. And try harder is not Christianity. I'm a sinner and I'm just, I'm going to get my act together. I'm, I'm, tomorrow I'm going to be better. It's not Christianity. It's futile coming away from a passage like this guilty when we have Christ. I think when we look at a passage like this, we have to put it in the whole drama of the whole Bible. God's people were given clear boundaries about how to act and live, and they couldn't do it, and neither can we. And the whole Bible is just an unfurling of moral disaster and moral decay just like us. The whole of the Old Testament points to we need 
a Messiah, a Christ, someone who will come and save us because we cannot save ourselves. Don't read a passage like this and say, I'm going to do better. And don't read a passage like this and say, I hope I'm okay with God. Read a passage like this with Jesus. And the clarion call of hope for me is 1 John. Verses 8 and 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If you think you're not a sinner, you're deluded. But as sinners, we then have the dilemma, I am going to be judged. Will I be forgiven? But verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God does forgive in Christ. Daniel didn't have that. When we, I did the communion at uh, 9.30 down at the garrison this morning, and when uh, people do the confession, I don't say, I hope God forgives you. I say, no, you are forgiven in Christ. And we walk out of there going, I am. Th that's the grace of Christ. There is no retribution for those who are in Christ. There is no judgment or punishment for those who are in Christ because Jesus took the punishment on himself. And I know you know that, but I especially want to remind you of it tonight when we look at a passage like this, to know that Daniel didn't have the full revelation we do. Don't go backwards. Don't go back to maybe God forgives me. Know that whatever we have done has been forgiven in Christ. Totally. He still is a God who judges. But if you have embraced Christ, you need not fear. And if you have not embraced Christ, please do it tonight. And come to him and say, please take the punishment that I deserve for my sins. I do believe in an interventionist God. I believe God has intervened profoundly in the cross and in the resurrection to give us hope. This week, talk to that God. And you can ask for forgiveness, but know that you are forgiven in Christ. Give thanks for forgiveness in Christ. Give thanks for the grace of the cross. Give thanks that our sins have been dealt with and rejoice. We are his and he is ours. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we thank you that we don't have to be try harder people but you have done it all at the cross if we are people who have not turned to you open our hearts to turn to you tonight help us to recognise that we need a saviour because we cannot be good enough for you we need Jesus help us to cling to him by faith. In his name we pray. Amen.